Welcome to Your Path to Real Wealth, where we explore how to cultivate real wealth, which is so much more than money. It's the sum quality of our values, relationships, health, sense of purpose, time, charitable giving, legacy, and more. Your path to real wealth begins now. Welcome to Your Path to Real Wealth. I'm Benjamin Cummings from Blue Barn Wealth, and I'm here with my co-host and partner at Blue Barn Wealth, Jeff Brimhall. So today we want to explore alternative investments, what they are, when and how to invest in them. And we are excited to have a great guest with us today. Jeff, could you please introduce our guest for us today? You bet. We have Dave Jensen, who is an owner and founder of Sandlot Partners. He's also been a longtime friend of mine. I'm excited to have him on today, and he's going to help us learn about alternative investments. Dave, thanks for coming on our show today. It is great to be here. Happy with you guys. Thanks for the invitation. Great. Can you give us a brief background on your career and your involvement with alternative investments? And then maybe tell us a little bit about your new company, Sandlot Partners. You bet. I've been working in the alternative investment space now for, let's see, 17, 16, 17 years and got started out working back East in the New York City metro area, you know, in, the, in private equity for a couple of firms that basically evaluated direct investment opportunities with companies and with different private equity funds and different flavors of funds, growth equity and distressed and special situations and buyout and healthcare versus consumer versus tech and, and sat on investment committees with lots of people way smarter than me, candidly, that I had to, uh, and so they really kind of put me my feet to the fire fast, but ultimately deployed a couple of billion dollars on behalf of pensions, endowments, foundations into some of the absolute best direct deals and private funds in the world. My focus was on the U.S., though, my predominant focus. So that's that's a little bit of my backdrop on the background. And then, you know, more recently, about three years ago, my my co-founder, partner and close friend, Casey Bond, and myself co-founded a private investment firm called Sandlot Partners. And we focus in three key areas with a big focus on experts and alignment. That would be backing great founders running already proven businesses and and that own a lot of the equity themselves. That would be backing and working closely with real estate sponsors in real estate where there's strong risk adjusted returns. And then finally, backing and working closely with sponsors in the oil and gas world on the private side. And so I could tell you more about that, but that's that's who we are. We've raised and deployed over $400 million since we started. I work with high net worth investors, private wealth management firms, and family offices and having the best time of my life. We're, we're loving what we're doing and great to be with you guys. Wow. Thank you for that background and for telling us a little bit about Sandlot Partners. That's amazing. In, a, in three short years, I guess, you've deployed already $400 million in investments. Yes, yes, sir. No, it's 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 a lot of fun, a lot of a lot of hard work, a lot of when we love stuff like this, candidly, getting to work with both people like you and your clients and bringing some of the knowledge because we certainly don't know everything. I am not your public equities expert. I'm guessing that you guys know ten times more about that than I do, but we know a lot about private equity, private markets, and alternatives, and that's also why we personally invest almost all of our a lot of our capital there. So Excited to be with you. Happy to help where we can and talk about alternative investments. I love it. Thanks for coming on, Dave. We want to focus on alternative investments. So can we start with you telling us how you would define alternative investments? 
It's a great question. I think there's probably some slight differences in how different people and groups define it. But the general way I think about it is investments that tend to have a chance for a little more outperformance relative to public equities and other public investment types. They also tend to be more illiquid than those public securities that you're buying in the stock market and otherwise. And then within alternatives, it's the, the key is that they're, for the most part, generally private. I mean, I guess hedge funds falls in there, so that's a little bit of a different one. But private real estate, private equity, uh, private oil and gas, venture capital, which is more, I think of as a more early stage asset class, higher returns, higher risk type stuff. We don't focus there. And there's a variety of other flavors of alternative investments, but that's generally how I think about it. Makes sense. So now within Sandlot Partners, why have you chosen to, to focus on the options that you have? I think you got to, I think in, in investing, if we go like back to the core principles, I think you got to go with what you know and what you're comfortable with. I think that's important. And then where you feel like you can get the best risk-adjusted opportunities. And that's not a word I think everyday people think a lot about, but for every unit of you know risk you're taking, um, you hope to get multiple units of return, right? Because when you invest, you are taking on some risk. And that everybody should, of course, already know that, but it's good to remind folks. And so, for example, one one thing that we you know we don't do is venture capital, where there's a chance for really big returns, but there's also a much greater chance to lose all your money on a given investment in a given private company or startup. And so, for example, we we just won't back companies there. And so instead of maybe shooting for, you know, 10, 20, who knows, north of 20 to 100x type stuff, which sometimes that can happen for venture firms, we're focused on deals that will give us, you know, kind of a 3x plus return over three to five years. And companies that already, for the most part, are profitable or could be profitable or are break even and have lots of recurring revenue. And they already have lots of actual revenue too. So basically the product market fit, that's one less thing that needs to be proven. It's already established. It's already working. Customers are already buying the product, if you will. So that would just be an example for me of like where we like to play. So what are the benefits of alternative investments and within that private equity specifically? I mean, you... The data is all out there in the in the, this crazy internet thing that we have. And anybody can go search. And if you look at the trends over time, and this isn't none of this means that this will forever guarantee, but pensions, endowments, foundations, they've tended over time to increase their exposure to alternative investments. And those that have done so generally have performed better. They've had better rates of return. But there is, of course, that illiquidity valley that has to be managed. So for example, if a school, a university, let's say, maybe locally it's the University of Utah or something, if they put all their money into private equity, you know, it can take years to start to get distributions back. So if, if you put all of the, you know, the endowment into that, you have a budget to pay for professors, you have buildings that need to be built, electricity bills, you know, tuition and scholarships. And so people wouldn't do that those universities wouldn't do it, but they would allocate a chunk to it so they could get a little more what we call alpha, you know, a little bit of outperformance, but manage that liquidity needs that they have. And likewise for families, 
And for high net worth folks and family offices and private wealth, I, I think people need to always be thinking about their own liquidity needs. But, you know, getting some exposure to alternative investments, I think, is a great way to get out performance, great way to diversify. That's great. So you mentioned illiquidity is, is one of the drawbacks of alternatives, including private equity. Are there other drawbacks that investors should be aware of as they're considering this space? I would say, of course, there's always there's always risks. I think thinking through sizing is something that we've kind of talked about. I think there's diversification. There's diversification by number of investments and like funds, for example, is a great way to get exposure to several investments versus going in a deal by deal fashion. We do both of those things and we always guide people when they come direct, which frankly, we don't know that that's a great option for a lot of much smaller investors given our minimums, but they, we ask them and tell them and guide them to, to size accordingly. Funds are a great way to get diversification, both from a time standpoint, an industry standpoint, a deal standpoint. And so anyway, those are some things that I think are super important for people to be thinking about. Maybe talk about fees for a minute, Dave, on alternative investments and how you think about fees. I think they can be a little higher on those. Yes. So, you know, I, I think the industry average, the way that the it works is that there are some fees on the management fee side, and then there's fees that we call carried interest. And some folks may already know all this stuff, so bear with me, I guess. Management fees is really to run the business, and it's of the two, it's, it's generally a much smaller portion of the fees. And I think investors want it that way. The carried interest is much higher, but it's only generated when there's actual performance that accrues to the benefit of the investors. And so there's like this word alignment. Well, you'll just hear us like beat the drum, the word alignment again and again and again. And one of the ways that investors want to align with private equity managers is to have them be hungry to go perform in a way that benefits the investors. And so this isn't something that we came up with. This has been around for decades, how this is set up. So the general framework is around 2% management fee, 20% carried interest. And then another key way for alignment is to have the manager make sure they're putting in some of their own money and that they're kind of riding and investing and putting skin in the game too. So anyway, those those are some ways to think about it. You know, on the, on the net of fees, there still should be meaningful performance. If you look at the upper one and two quartiles of private equity over time, virtually every single vintage year, which is just like, calendar years from 1995 through more recent years, virtually every vintage year, the first and the second quartile have outperf outperformed the public equities benchmarks, if that makes sense. There's some good data out there. And that kind of shows if you can be in those top two quartiles. Obviously, if you're on the bottom two quartiles, you might be below public equities and you're not going to have as good of experience. And so, so a lot of that comes down to selection, which is something we spend a lot of time doing both on deals and historically for me at, at the fund level also. Are there additional fees if you're going through a fund versus going direct or are they about the same? It depends which group you're with. We, ours are about the same. We do have, we do have off, oftentimes there will be deals that only come in the funds, but in terms of Sandlot, I don't want to speak for everybody, but um, sure. they're, they're roughly the same. So yeah, are there other things that an investor should consider as they're deciding how much to invest in alternatives? I think so. I think some of this is like risk tolerance, what your personal preferences are. 
some of this, of course, as mentioned, is like liquidity needs. Some of this would be time horizon. So, you know, for example, someone that's younger that can leverage compounding interest and returns over the course of their life longer, they might be more willing to put some capital toward a strategy like this that's less liquid and versus maybe somebody that's in their 60s plus. You know what I mean? That's really, and of course, it depends totally entirely on, on their goals still. But often it, people that are a little bit older, for example, we we guide them more towards some of the things that we do that have more of a cash yielding orientation that may not have quite as juicy of returns, but that produce cash much, much sooner. In in, in one of the cases, just the month after people invest, they're getting a, a check back and they get monthly checks, which is very different from the illiquidity that we talked about earlier. Although there is some element of illiquidity because you can't just redeem the next day the way you can in the stock market. So it kind of it kind of de- depends on the individual. But I think age, I think total net worth, we as just as a just for us from a compliance standpoint, we're a registered investment advisor with the SEC, and we are set up in a way where we can only work with folks that are what we call qualified clients that need to be able to represent that they have a kind of a 2.1 million plus a net worth. And so that means that there's a lot of people out there that just, you know, we can't, we can't work with, unfortunately. It doesn't mean there's not potentially some other options for them, but Sandlot is just unfortunately not a fit. Yeah, makes sense. So what I'm hearing you say, benefits of alternative investments are that you can potentially have some outperformance was one of the main things. Maybe let's talk about that for a minute. If you think of the S&P 500, maybe averaging eight to 10% per year, historically, what kind of outperformance would you expect from an illiquid alternative investment to make it worthwhile? Yeah. I mean, so we're targeting and we hope to outperform this. There will be, I'm sure times where we don't get quite to this, but we're targeting a 20% annualized return net of fees. And so um, that's our target. We've gotten there before on on past deals, uh, north of that on a couple of them at this stage. But you can kind of see how if we can get anywhere close to that, there's some pretty good outperformance relative to 8 to 10%. Does that help answer the question? Yeah, it definitely helps answer the question. So the benefit is the outperformance or additional return. But in order to get that, you have to be willing to not have access to your money for a while, uh, potentially pay higher fees, but net of fees, you're still getting outperformance. Great. So maybe let's talk, Dave, about an example or two. Can you share with us some examples of successful investments that you've been a part of that are alternative investments? Yeah, happy to. Everybody loves to talk about the good ones and we do have some really good ones and happy to kind of talk about other ones too come from past. But I'll go through a couple if that makes sense that we've worked on here at Sandlot we're really excited about. The one was our inaugural deal, which in normal instances, I I wouldn't say that I'm like completely drawn to the airline space. But as I mentioned before, where you can find a true expert that has had tremendous success doing the same thing multiple times if not four or five times, and then find a way to get access to that opportunity, align with that founder, that partner. I mean, that's that's where we like to be. And so in this case, we were able to, you know, when COVID happened, basically a, a guy named David Nieleman that founded JetBlue and Azul and big owner in Tap Portugal, sold Morris Air to Southwest Airlines and his really strong track record. He uh, He decided for the first time due to COVID to take on some external capital. And because of a 10-year relationship that you know I had with him and with his, his family, we're able to get access 
and participate in that in, by being kind of hustling and understanding his track record and understanding that would be a great opportunity for a lot of investors and friends of mine and myself personally. And so in short, what Breeze Airways does, it's not just a traditional airline, it's an ultra low cost carrier. The closest comparison would probably be Allegiant. Most people don't know that Allegiant Airlines is the most profitable airline for many years running now. You may not know that or think that it's not as big as some of the other ones, but it's it's a very profitable one. And the main reason is because it's almost all monopolistic routes. There's very little, comp- in other words, there's very little competition. And, you know, and I don't want to disparage any airlines, but they they don't necessarily run the same model and service and as a lot of airlines, but still notwithstanding have, have been a, grown a lot. And so Breeze basically enters that same space, but has a transformational aircraft called the A220 through Airbus that lands small runway, flies transcontinental, 30% more fuel efficient. And there's only so many of them out there. And with this aircraft, with their team that they have in place with Neilman's background and track record and the board, that's basically the same board that he's had for three airlines in a row now, they've, they're off to the races, should hit north of $400 million in revenue this year. And um, there are over 100 routes now. And so in short, it's going well. It's been a choppy economic environment and supply chain is, has some challenges, but it, it continues to grow and should be profitable this year. And we're happy with how that's going. Another great investment that we're happy with that's off to the races is a, a exceptional small market focused business to business software company called BirdEye based in Palo Alto, California. It's in an experience management space. BirdEye basically uses software and text SMS to help small companies optimize their customer reviews, both written and like Google stars, it gives them all kinds of interesting insights for how to run their dental practice or their restaurant or their tire shop. There are some local companies here in a similar space, and we are able to get access to this great investment with lots and lots of recurring revenue through a long-time relationship that I had from years past with a great software buyout firm that was already invested in the deal and brought us in due to our local network and some of our expertise in software sales and marketing and willingness to add value to the investment, not just be passive capital. And so when we invested, it had 70 million in annual recurring revenue, which by the way, uh, what does that mean? Basically means that every year, if they should have, assuming retention is 100 plus percent, which in their case it is, they can wake up each year, how beautiful is this? And say, if we do nothing, we'll have 70 plus million revenue this year, contractually. And so that's part of why we love software, but of course you gotta get the right price. And so we came in at a really attractive price on this opportunity and have added some value. And they're now just about at 100 million in ARR, which we've only been in the investment for about five months. So you can kind of draw some conclusions on how it's going. It's going well. They made a nice add-on acquisition. And in this case, between the management team being just really strong, the business model strong, where they're already making money and profitable, annual recurring revenue I mentioned, and then this sponsor group that brought us in for a value add, knowing their track record, which is just off the charts. I mean, what they do with software companies is amazing. I, I'm a personal investor with them for 10 years. So I just kind of have unique insights into who they are and how they do business and how they virtually never lose money. So that that's why we love this one. It's off to a great start. Wow. Two great examples of alternative investments and specifically those both both those examples are private equity 
And you mentioned that in addition to private equity, Sandlot Partners does private real estate and oil and gas deals and other things. So private investments can be multiple things and alternative investments can be multiple things, not just private equity, but thank you for those two examples. Not all are, not all of the investments in alternative investments go as expected. Maybe give us a quick example of one that didn't turn out as you expected. <laughs> no, these are super helpful. I'm, I'm going to go with two, two short stories. The first one, I'm going to go back to when I was 22. And I think this is instructive for the audience and it's informed how I've thought about investing ever since. I signed a long time ago. I'm a has-been now, but I signed in a third-round pick with the Kansas City Royals, and I made about $500,000 when I was 22 years old. And I had this money, and I said to myself, I'm going to make some cool investments. I'm going to multiply my money. And I actually made some good ones. My brother was in real estate and he in Las Vegas area, and he plugged me into some good ones there, and that went well. And but I also gave some money to this guy who had been expert at hitting and mental strength training and helped me become a pro baseball player, but not an expert necessarily in investing in businesses and so on and so forth. So I gave him some of that money. And ultimately, those were mostly wipeouts, got some capital back. And it was a very painful experience. And so I think what I learned there for the whole audience and for myself, as I think about this important scar tissue is... It, like in Richest Man in Babylon, it's a great read if you haven't read it. It talks a lot about this guy, Arkad, who's counseled to save, but then invest, not just save and invest, so it can grow. And he gives his money to the brickmaker, but the brickmaker goes to the Phoenicians to buy jewels and come back to sell and make a profit. Brickmakers aren't jewel merchants, right? And so he ends up losing the money. And I kind of feel like that's what happened to me. Arkad had some pain, I had some pain, and I learned the hard way, but it, fortunately, I was 22. So years years have gone on, and we've learned a lot. We partner with experts that are doing things in their expert field. You know, one investment that I made that was less about not picking the right expert, more about a trend that we probably underestimated is a, is a business in the kind of retail, in-store analytics space that, you know, I'm still in this investment. I have great hopes that it'll it'll pan out in a decent outcome, but ultimately... The thesis was, hey, tech is here to stay. Retail is also here to stay, though. And to be better at retail and to perform better, you're going to have to advantage. And if this company has great in-store analytics to, to help you optimize your, your shelf space and traffic patterns and you know which products to be selling, so on and so forth. And the thesis wasn't necessarily a bad thesis, but when you think about making the investment around 2015 and thinking Amazon would grow and people would buy probably more things online, but retail would still be very strong for quite some time. That was the mega trend. Sometimes there's like these tidal wave trends. And that one, ultimately, people still wanted to buy the in-store analytics, but they just went out of business. Their ultimate customers, these big brands actually went out of business. And so like it kind of put, put some cold water on the full thesis. That doesn't mean they're all out of business. And this company is still fighting and doing a decent job of uh, the best they can. But that's a an example of something that I underestimate, which is a mega trend with Amazon and, and just online sales increasing. Thank you for sharing both uh, good investments and some that didn't turn out as you'd expected. It's It takes a little humility to admit that you've made some investments that weren't exactly what you wanted. And thank you for sharing those stories with us. Maybe touch on, you've already mentioned a lot of these things as you've been speaking, but 
Due to the long-term and illiquid nature of alternative investments, it seems even more important to do quality due diligence and to partner with the right people to give the highest probability of success for the outcome. So what characteristics do you look for when you select investment opportunities that are likely to meet or exceed expectations? You mentioned the keys, right? I think, and we've more or less gone through some of the main ones, but I, I think it really truly, we're a partner first model. We're oriented very much around experts that are going to run more of the show. We're not, there are some groups out there. For example, there's in buyout in another, there's control oriented buyout shops in private equity firms. And they'll come in and they'll, they'll buy 60, 80% of the business. And they have these huge teams of people that get involved and basically run and improve the companies and grow them. And, and they own control and they call, even though there's a CEO, they, they ultimately still can call the shots and fire the CEO if they want. That we're not oriented that way. It doesn't mean we don't have good governance and make sure we're being great fiduciaries. It, it gives us, our, ours is more about identifying exceptional leaders that have exceptional principles and values that we're very aligned with, that they own a significant amount of equity in the business or, or in the case of real estate, they're putting a lot of equity into the project or in the case of Winona and Gas Project, they're putting a lot of the capital into the project, which shows us that they love it. And if things go wrong, they're going to spend time to fix it and feel pain if it doesn't go right. And if it goes right, they're going to do really well. And we're going to be super happy for them. And we're all going to do well in that case, right? And so I think we think a lot about that. Part of the trick is like, there are experts out there, but they don't always need money <laughs> because people know they're experts. And so that's part of like the magic and the hustle of what we do is we'll spend years, in a lot of cases, building a relationship with the group that so that we might have a chance to be able to invest in. And then we're also, um, so, but that's, so that's some on the personal side and how we access deals and why we think we have some unique access. By the way, we're not all over the whole country. I think you, people need to be super clear with what they're good at and what they may not be good at. In our case, we're more Intermountain West and focused where our network is and our strengths are. So we try to orient more that way and not claim and not de deceive ourselves that when we go to like Tuscaloosa, Alabama, that everybody's going to know us and we're going to be, have some big advantages there. You know what I mean? And so that, that's something I, but then there's also the fundamentals, right? There's like, do we, does this make sense? Does just generally, do we understand the business? Can we get our arms around their go-to-market strategy? It, what are the needs for the business or the real estate project? How great of a price are we paying? So much of this is, is can you just get in at a, at a reasonable valuation, right? or a really good valuation. Part of how we try to mitigate high prices is just not going through investment banks. Investment banks' sole job is to go out and get the highest price they possibly can for a real estate project, for an oil and gas project, or for a company that's looking to sell some shares or raise some capital. And so we've just never worked with an investment bank. And that takes more work and hustle but that's something that we feel is a little bit unique. We have people on our team that are experts from investment banking backgrounds that have worked at these big, big private equity firms that know how to build financial models. We do reference calls. We have one cool thing that we have in, forgive me, I know I'm going a little long here, but we have like 200 people that are investors with us, limited partners that are founders of businesses. So you think about like a pension I mean, a pension, frankly, is just, it's not that they're not valuable with the capital they bring, but they're just not, you can't call them to do a reference check or, hey, what do you think of this software and this tech? Or what do you think of this founder? You know what I mean? That 
you worked with at your last company. You know what I mean? Whereas with our founder LPs and partners, we can call on them. And often they're the source of our, our best investments too. They bring them to us. So anyway, those are helpful advantages as we think about due diligence. Well, that's meaningful. And clearly you've put a lot of effort into building out a process to be able to vet these opportunities and choose those opportunities that are going to provide the highest probability of success. And it's evident by the investments you've made so far at Sandlot Partners that you're picking really good ones. Thanks, man. No, we're, we're having fun and it's been great to work with you guys. And yeah, I mean, it's also really just fun to talk about investing. I, I, some people geek out on, I geek out on movies, baseball, and investing. And I, I guess I'd say my kids. I don't geek out on much much else. So <laughs> this is fun for me to talk through this stuff. Dave, this has been fun too. I, you mentioned earlier the idea of alignment. And as I hear about how you vet opportunities and even investors in your, your fund, it sounds like a lot of the focus is on this idea of alignment. Could you maybe speak a little bit to that idea of alignment and how that how that resonates with you? I think for us, it's in the top one or two most important things and always will be because of what it does to put people rowing in the same direction together over time. And when your fate in some ways is tied to an operator or a founder or a real estate sponsor or an oil and gas sponsor, you know, or for that matter, like, I I don't know, like your wife, if you're aligned, like, and and the outcomes are going to benefit both of you, like you're just going to work together and you're going to care more about each other and how things go. And so what we try to do is just make sure on the same side of the table with people and make sure those people, those partners are to begin with very exceptional and the more alignment, the better. And so there's different ways to think about that, but mostly it's like, well, how much equity do they own? Do they own 1% or 50%? 50% for the most part is better than 1%. Are they putting in $10 or are they putting in $2 million or $15 million of their own money? And generally speaking, the more, the better, the higher the percentage, the higher the dollar amount and and knowing that it actually is meaningful to them and having some insight into that uh, is also helpful. So anyway, the, and when you're talking about years, like not a month, but years, you know, a lot of cases, you, you, alignment matters. It matters even more. And so anyway, super important topic. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought it up. So that's great. You know, I know also, Dave, your firm, Sandlot Partners, recently hosted the Wealth and Mindset Conference to guide attendees in creating a life of mastery, wealth, wisdom, and wellness. It was also called the MW3 Conference. Could you talk a little about what the motivation was in creating that conference? No, I I mean, this is like another passion area. So you'll have to probably stop me because this stuff's fun. And and to be honest, like, when I think about well, mastery of wealth, wisdom, wellness, and just holistic living, holistic wealth, and I feel like in the last three years, I've kind of come onto some things that have just truly changed my life and made me a better human, a happier person, more successful at work. And But I'm still in some ways such a beginner at some of these tools and practices and the gratitude and the giving and um, just how to prioritize time and think through those things and making sure I'm aligning my my time, energy, and val- my time, energy, and resources with the things that I actually value. Right. I think that's one thing that we all should be thinking about regularly: is do we actually spend our time, energy, and resources on the things that we value most, or not? Right. Anyway, yeah. uh, going off on tangents already, boys. But I guess, I guess, what I would say is like to back up. Sandlot's, you know, true mission is like let's ex- let's help people 
through our, our background and our unique access to great private investments in the alternative space. Let's help them accelerate their path to financial freedom. Let's give them some access to some investment solutions that are going to be strong on a risk-adjusted basis, right? With very low downside and, the, and by so doing, and not, not their whole portfolio, by the way, but some of it. And then, because most of the people work with are individuals, they're not these institutions, right? But then like outside of that, which is a, a huge piece of our mission, of course, outside of that, what else can we do? And so adding value to our community of investors and partners and friends and family members in a way that's more, maybe more social, mental, spiritual, emotional. So this conference in short was a manifestation of that and a real effort to say, hey, if we say this is part of our mission to do more than help on the financial side of things with folks, then let's do something. So we, we organized this conference. We, we got a bunch of sponsors to help us to fund it. And then we, we brought 1,500 people together for a couple of days. We brought some of the best keynotes in holistic living that have been very successful that we could think of across military heroes and NFL stars, people that have are authors like Angela Duckworth with Grit and local, very successful legacy families like the Larry H. Miller family, female coaches like Dilji Taylor, who's been the cross country coach for years and the last couple has been national champs. And the, more importantly, the women that she graduates out of there are just exceptional people. And so, and get to them together and give them a form and a platform to really just talk openly about mistakes they've made and successes they've had. And like why it's important to give, why we, why they think it's important to be holistic and abundant. And let's talk about it. Let's have some fun with it and bring people together. What a beautiful thing to show up and know the person on your left and the right is there because they haven't got it all figured out and they want to be a better person and live more abundantly and get some cool tools. So we felt like it went well. It was a life highlight for me, not just a professional highlight. My wife was there. My parents were there. Our team hustled and worked their tails off. And it was, frankly, a big relief also that when it was over because we'd never done it before. But also, I think a lot of fun. And so I, I think you guys came or I know Jeff came for some of it. I hope you had a great time. Yeah, it was such a great conference that I I really feel like it was holistic is the word that, that sticks out to me that it was I left kind of feeling like I have a better view of all of these aspects that you're hitting on, including the idea of leaving, you know, Diljit when she's speaking, I'm like, I have ideas on how I can be a better dad. And I just love that idea. That this is that, yeah, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Be, be better people in all aspects of our life. Yeah. And I, I didn't mention, but it makes me very proud to say and happy to say we, we picked a great cause that's legacy worthy and primary promise that supports innovation in children's healthcare supports Intermountain Healthcare supports Primary Children's Hospital and will help fund the new Lehigh Primary Children's Hospital. And we ended up raising over six and a half million dollars through this conference. And so we've gone and done the tour there. We picked that conference also because some of our partners and friends have donated a lot there. And it just seemed like such a worthy one and an important thing to weave into the theme and the purpose of the MW3 conference. So we're, we're really happy about that too. That's great. Thank you, Dave. We love the conference and it's right in line with what we're trying to help our clients do in their life is to live a more simple, intentional and meaningful life and to focus on real wealth, which as we've talked about today and at your conference, it's so much more than just money and gaining more and more money. It's all those other things you mentioned. So with that, we're going to ask you, like we ask all of our guests, one final question, and that is what is real wealth to you? Uh, it is, of course, 
always a bit of a moving target balance is like a word that I don't know if it's realistic to always have balance or maybe in some ways anytime have balance. But I think if we have these core principles and values on what like true wealth means to us, and if we're clear that it's not, it's so much, not just financial, right? So I think it's about family. It's relationships. I think about personal health, both mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, exercise, diet. And I think about being able to spend time in areas where we're passionate that make a difference. I think about giving and the gift that it is when I last night with my daughter, you know, left a pretty big tip with this girl at getting an ice cream. And I said, Hey, half that's for you. And half of that's for you to go give to somebody that needs it. And to do that with my daughter real time and like see my daughter get fired up and this girl be excited and also accept the challenge to go give and pay it forward to somebody and just, and how much, cause I was stressed. I was actually really stressed yesterday. And the minute that I did that, I felt a lot better about things and like, you know what, the things I'm stressed about are not as important. You know what I mean? So the, when we keep those things present on a daily basis, they don't have to be big, huge things. We just mentioned the six and a half million for primary promise, but you don't, it doesn't have to be huge. It could be little. It doesn't even have to be money, right? It could be, just smiling at somebody. And so anyway, we have these videos for people that missed the MW3. You can get access to them, watch some of these things um, that were well articulated, better than I could ever articulate through some of these great speakers. But holistic wealth is like what in my mind is what life's all about. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much for your perspective and all that you've learned over the last three years and throughout your life that you've shared with us, not only on alternative investments, but on real wealth and how you're trying to help your partners and others expand their view and help them live a better life. It's, it's very impressive and admirable. And we look forward to partnering with you in that effort for a long time to come. So thank you for being on. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. We hope this has been helpful for you and that you've heard something that can benefit you and or your family or friends. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, tell your friends so they can subscribe. And uh, if you have specific questions, please reach out to us at bluebarnwealth.com. We're happy to help. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Your Path to Real Wealth from Blue Barn Wealth. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends and click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and any guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Blue Barn Wealth. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for personalized investment advice. Because everyone's situation is unique, always seek the advice of a qualified financial professional with any questions you may have.